Hey, this is John. Let's Talk Native is now on Patreon. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash letstalknative. We will be producing exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. Thanks for checking us out. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cataraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. We highlight the voices of Native activists, writers, poets, artists, thinkers, and musicians who are fighting for the rights of Indigenous people all over Turtle Island. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. In this moment of historical change and social justice, our voices matter now more than ever before. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Say hello and welcome to the program. Hey, um, this is not a spirituality show. <laughs> so, I'm not contradicting my intro here. Uh, the, I t- I'm going to title this show is God is Not Red. And yeah, look, I'm not condemning Vine Deloria's book uh, whatsoever. But the point I wanted to make, and this was raised by you know, by a few people, um, is is how did this concept of God or Creator in the in the same in much the same vein become so much a part of of, uh, of Native people, Native culture, Native communities? And I want to address it because. This is not a native concept. So when I say God is not red, what I'm saying is that it's not a concept that is ours. Uh, the whole idea of this humanizing of uh, of the power of creation or or even the idea of a deity is not it's not a native thing. And and I'll explain it. And I'll I'll explain the, you know, some of the difference, but I'll also talk about how it came, you know, how it's kind of Beyond native people becoming Christians themselves, outright, you know, uh, you know, self-proclaimed Christians, even many of our traditions and, uh, and our stories have been altered in such a way, or, the, or at least the interpretation of our stories have been altered in such a way that it, it shows the influence. And, and because it shows the influence and because it has been influenced, it is taken away from from the real meaning of, of some of our stories or even our ceremonies or festivals. So again, so let me reiterate this idea of a man in the sky, this, this all knowing, all seeing, all hearing, all powerful, um, all hearing, um, uh, man, person, God, whatever. It's not our concept. It, It doesn't exist in any of our stories, we do have creation stories and, and the creation stories vary from peoples to peoples. And I look, if what I'm saying here contradicts your creation story, um, I'd, I'd like to hear about that a little bit, but it doesn't contradict the Haudenosaunee one. And, and without going through and, and explaining the creation story, 
First off, let me say, it's a story. For anybody who says they try to take these stories literally, then they're probably not quite understanding the purpose of the stories. And so when we tell a story, it's supposed to teach a lesson. The reason we do storytelling, the reason we always have done that as a part of our history and our culture is to, is to teach something. It is not to document history. These are not historical accounts. In fact, we would argue that at, at the dawn of our creation, we hadn't yet developed story, a storytelling you know, skill yet or even language necessarily. So there's, there's some real problems with, with the notion that, that our creation story is a, a true account of our, you know, of our, our origin stories. Um, they, they're meant to teach a lesson. And oftentimes they are a metaphor. Our creation story, and if, if you think about it, it's kind of a, a metaphor for childbirth. The idea of, of coming through, you know, uh, you know, as they say, sky world, and then, you know, water and all of that. And, and the idea that, you know, that, sky woman would would be grabbing on to you know certain um you know plants or whatever else it's the same thing that as a child as we're born we're we're bringing some of that dna from our you know from our ancestors from not just from our our mother and father but from from, uh, from a deeper genetic ancestry so i mean my interpretation the way it's been explained to me is that the haudenosaunee creation story is essentially a metaphor for for the creation of each each and every one of us you know through our through our births so but there's something that that you in, involve in that story so it teaches lessons and 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 again creation stories and most of our stories were meant for children and and i'm not trying to to sound condescending or, or in any way, shape or form, but to tell these stories is to kind of ground our, uh, our understanding of our place within, within creation. Now, so again, as I said before, there is no figure in our creation story or in any part of our, of our culture, at least originally that talks about a great and all powerful, all knowing, um, you know, uh, deity, God, creator. There's nothing in our culture that suggests that we need to pray to a creator or pray to, you know, um, make requests, you know, you know, pray for, you know, for, uh, you know, some sort of divine intervention by an all powerful being. There's nothing in our, uh, look, even the part of the creation story that gets into the right-handed and left-handed twin uh, and, and, and again, in the story, creating so much that's around us, it is, it's about balance. It's about harmony. It's about the right-handed twin creating something that may be on its face beautiful, but wouldn't exist without having a little bit of an edge to it. You know, you put a thorn with the, with the, with the roses or with the berries. So all the berries don't get eaten. And those berries not only provide something for us to consume and, and others to consume, but as the as it represents part of propagating itself through seeds and that kind of stuff that they don't all get consumed. Uh, you know, so, and there's so much, whether you add, you know, turbulence and, and rocks and, uh, and current to a stream. So you don't have a peaceful body of water that will stagnate and become, you know, you know, essentially a spoiled or, or uninhabitable, um, body of water. All of these things, 
in in our story, we talk about the the right-handed twin creating something and the left-handed twin creating something to where together they complement each other. Now, what happens with this idea of introducing Christian concepts even to our stories? We end up embodying this notion of a creator, and and we we even capitalize it in the same way, in the same way Thomas Jefferson did in the in the Declaration of Independence, you know, endowed by their creator, and and, and O R even gives it a masculine uh, connotation to it. And some some people will argue whether that's true or not, but but in the end, it, or usually, that's what what the having an O R instead of just creator with the E R would be, you know, so. So again, you 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 masculinize this power of creation. You you humanize it. You create it into into a uh, human like God, and then we start interchanging the word creator with God as if somehow that makes the God concept more native, and it doesn't. And 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 again, let me. I'll I'll go through some of it. As I talked about, when when this whole idea of Christianity starts to influence how we frame our own, you know, cultural teachings, our stories, and that kind of stuff, even the left-handed and the right-handed twin, it ends up turning into like a, a good versus evil construct. And and some would argue that the that the, the left-handed twin was evil and the and the right-handed twin was good. I, I've talked about this before on previous shows. Even the word, the the Latin word for left, is sinister, and and it, and it has to do with you know even parting the sky as far as good and evil, the good parts of the of the of the sky in, uh, being on the right, and the and the evil being on on the left. So, in many European cultures, the idea of of somebody who was left-handed would be taboo, like that that was you know an evil. Um, characteristic. And so that's not what our story uh, did. Our story didn't take and, and make the left-handed twin evil. It, it just, it, it added some sharpness and some contrast and, yeah, and, and maybe a little adversity, but not necessarily something that was meant to be, uh, you know, characterizes the good versus evil construct. So, and this is what's happened, you know, with, with, with this influence of, of Christianity coming to our shores. And look, I, I've heard people argue that the genocide that would follow Christopher Columbus was, um, was part and parcel uh, um, an effort to convert us. I never bought into this whole idea that, that this was about white people trying to convert us to be good Christians like them. And in fact, even in, uh, uh, Stephen Newcomb's film, uh, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, it, it, they, he and his guest Rivera talk about that even when Native people converted, they were only converted barbarians. They were never converted to this notion uh, that they were somehow equal to other Christians. And so this whole idea that Christianity would bring this hierarchy construct also, and that there were there there was there were levels of um, of humanity even within those who could grasp their concept or or be indoctrinated into their concept of Christianity. There was this notion of, of hierarchy. In fact, the role the church played even with monarchies 
I mean, it was it was the church that would ultimately bestow the ultimate authority. This word sovereign that I talk talked about before, the word sovereign suggests that this was um, an extension of God um, bestowing power on royal families or, or on a monarchy or, or whatever else. And that there was a relationship between the, the power to rule man, a man's power to rule man and, and God's approval or sanctioning of that through the church. This is where the church played such an integral part of, uh, of creating this, these hierarchical and, and male dominant structures that would, uh, and, and I'm not saying that Christianity did this all by itself. Other cultures, other two, the other two major religions have much of the, the same uh, um, characteristics, I guess. But Christianity is, is almost singular in the way it is. And Catholicism, as the, the base uh, or the foundation of even all the Protestant denominations, uh, stands with, the, with, you know, is marked by being the most domineering, oppressive, and authoritarian of, of all of the, you know, the denominations of Christianity. I'm not saying that there aren't stricter uh, forms of, of Christianity, some that are much more oppressive, but in terms of there being an authority in terms of the, the, the Vatican and the Pope and that hierarchical structure uh, that is associated with positions within the church. That's what I'm talking about there. There are some, there are still some very, very, um, uh, pr prudential, I guess. I don't know. Puritan, pur uh, uh, puritanistic forms of uh, of, uh, of Christianity that you know that still exist, um, w without getting into to naming specific denominations. But they they certainly do exist. Um, some that are very much more oppressive towards women, in particular, or or you know um, accepting any you know, uh, progressive thoughts or ideas about equality and, and morale, you know, justice and, and that kind of thing. Um, but, but again, as, uh, Christianity would be, uh, um, would, would begin to influence our people. And one of the ways that they would do it, not only were they proselytizing via the sword in terms of uh, really, um, um, murdering people and, and trying to convince them that their salvation was only going to be, um, by accepting their views, understand that the view that came from the Vatican um, through the the papal bulls was that if you were not a Christian, then you were automatically an enemy of Christ, and and so that that's the way they could justify whatever treatment a a Christian nation would uh, you know would you know, would impose upon uh, a, a non-Christian or a pagan people. And so once you've de uh, deemed that somebody is your enemy, you can justify all kinds of things, slavery, murder. Uh, I don't know how the rape culture um, is, it fits in with this, with this Christian domination, but they seem to have gone hand in hand. And, you know, so for, for all of the, you know, the, the, the biblical 10 commandments stuff, the idea of raping people seem to, uh, seem to fit in quite nicely with, with much of the Christian domination that, uh, that would be involved with, with colonization. But yeah, so the whole idea that, that native people in particular, it wasn't just that we were, they were, they would view our, our beliefs as satanic. There was a lot of that, but they would view our beliefs uh, as casting us as, as their enemies, 
because if we didn't ab- adopt their beliefs, then we had to be enemies of their religion and, and, by, and, and so enemies of, of them. And that's how they could justify the murder and then use the threat of murder and violence as a way to, you know, as a, as a purely um, survival skill or tactic th- that people would, would accept uh, Christianity. It, w- it was the only way they could survive. And that's why the, the spread of Christianity among the indigenous people, North, South, Central America, uh, it, it was driven at the end of, the, of, of a sword. Now, it was also... Um, disease and illness was also a big part of it. So to the extent that Europeans came not only with diseases, but with some treatment and cure for some of those diseases, they would hold back those cures or treatments and say that, you know, that you, you couldn't be cured unless you, unless you converted. And so this idea that God was punishing you with these, these diseases became again, just like the sword and just like violence, uh, disease was used in the same way. So this is what what our our, peri- our 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 people experienced, and so even as our people tried to like parallel some of our uh, our cultural um, practices with theirs, that would still be rejected by by true Christians. But it wouldn't stop some of our people. So what would happen in our communities? There would be some. Um, grabbing a hold of or, or assimilation into Christian beliefs while still hanging on to some of our some of our cultural beliefs. And this is not just true with Haudenosaunee. This is, you see this in, in Mexico and Central America and South America, all, many indigenous communities that even as they became somewhat Christianized by, uh, by colonization, they would not and, and actually refuse to reject some of their I, I hate to even call them belief systems. You know, one of the things that, that I, I have to talk about is, is the idea of faith. By definition, faith is, uh, is the idea of promoting or believing in something that is unpro- unprovable. That's, and that's the dictionary definition. It's, it's believing in something that you cannot prove. And, and it's not that you can't prove it. It's just that it's unprovable. I mean, you, it is, it's impossible to prove. Uh, I mean, does God exist? I, I, look, it, you know, scientifically, it's impossible to prove. In fact, all of science would suggest that God doesn't exist. You know, even though the whole concept of creationism and, and all of the, your intelligent design, all, you know, all that stuff. There's no, way, there's no way to prove it. Now, we can argue whether you can disprove it or not. I mean, it's like, how do you disprove a negative? I mean, it's, it, it is, it's, it's a kind of circular reasoning, reasoning, so to speak. But so faith is this idea that you believe in something because somebody told you to believe it. And they tell you that this is the way it has to be. You must believe something. You must believe in God. You must believe in the Bible. And that these are infallible truths that although there's no evidence to, to support that these are infallible truths, in fact, there's probably much more evidence to suggest that it isn't, that, you, that faith is, is what has to drive not only your belief system, but your behavior. So the difference between native culture, even what I would call native beliefs, is that they, they are beliefs that are, that are bound to provable um, circumstances. So, you know, so the idea that if we put a seed in the ground 
and we believe that that seed is going to produce, you know, corn or beans or squash or, or whatever. It's not faith because we've done it before and it's done and it and it and it, and it grows. Sometimes it doesn't. Every once in a while, we'll have some bad seeds or we'll have bad weather conditions or climate conditions. And, and those seeds don't do what we think they should do. So, uh, so that belief can be challenged. And so we, we have to develop better understandings about what we do with that seed. So it's not just the idea of poking your finger in the ground and putting a seed. Sometimes we, we, we have to cultivate and we have to do certain things to make sure that that seed does what we want it to do. So it isn't just an act of God that makes that, that, that corn stalk come up. And, and it's not prayer that's going to make that seed produce food for us. So the idea that, uh, so our culture and, and even our creation stories, even our stories are meant to be based on, and, and have some foundation in reality, even if the stories are somewhat a fantasy. You know, so they are they are meant to to reinforce some concept or some uh, idea that once we are presented with that same circumstance that that may have that that story may provide us a foundation. So as we um, encounter a circumstance, that story would have taught us something that will uh, that will enable us to understand and turn what was what was previously a belief into into knowledge and the difference between belief and knowledge knowledge is what you experience and a belief is what you were told so faith is all about what somebody else is it is putting in your brain and th so they put these concepts in there and and oftentimes have to strip away something else to make room for that you know and, and i'm not you know considering you know your your brain like a like a jug with only so much room but when you when, when, in order to, to accommodate this idea of faith and belief, you almost have to, you have to put away something that doesn't conform to that faith or belief. So you have to almost dismiss knowledge, dis, dismiss your personal experience, or you have to somehow recharacterize what your experience was to accommodate what that belief is. This is, you know, a, a, a key component of what, what I talk about as far as cognitive dissonance. Because we know that there are certain things that what, what faith is telling us doesn't, it doesn't conform to reality. And, and I'm not just talking about the idea of a heaven and angels and a hell and the devil and, and all of this stuff. I'm, I'm not even talking about those things. But much of the, of the, the guidance that, that comes from that. Now, here's the other thing. The problem with, with there being not only this, this faith-based belief system imposed on other people, there are, as I said, there's, there's hierarchy. And within that hierarchy are those people who, are, who we're led to believe have a better understanding. And in fact, the ultimate understanding is that they can tell you what God's words not only were or are, but they're going to tell you what they mean. Because you may not be qualified to interpret, you know, what, what you've experienced. So somebody's going to tell you, okay, well, I know what you think you experienced. Let me explain it in a biblical fashion. Let me explain what God, what God's words really mean and what you experienced. So it's, it's like when you, when you lose a loved one, well, it's because, you know, you know, God wanted to take that person. Why? How does that make any sense? 
I mean, God had a need for my child? You know, God had a need for a loved one who passed away while they were in the prime of their life? See, there's all of these ways that they, that they, uh, that they, they twist a circumstance. And, and of course, there's no way to prove that. <laughs> and I guess there's no way to prove that it's wrong either, right? So this is, this is what we, we experience with this, with this notion that somebody else is going to interpret what your spirituality um, has to accommodate in terms of you know, what you experienced in your life, what tra- how you deal with tragedy. So in many ways, because you're being you know, convinced that there's this all-knowing, all-powerful, and in fact, not just all-powerful because God could um, um, make a plan for your life, that it's God's plan, but that he is, actually has one, that somehow your life has already been charted for you by uh, you know by a deity by by a god I, i've even heard native people buy into this notion that the moment we were created our life was already charted out for us that's a christian concept and and a few other religions have that but it's not ours we most of the teachings the older teachings are all about what creation provided for us to make rational decisions and to and to to see you know and and to witness and experience what nature is guiding us towards what the powers of creation guide us towards not just this idea that we need to somehow try to emulate you know an image that was created of of a god and that we have to become godlike this is again one of those those areas that our culture talks about our relationship with creation rather than d- being the, uh, the the masters of creation and that that all of the creation was 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 placed there for us that's you know again even in, in the book of genesis they talk about subduing the creation the, the creatures of the earth all of the, the creatures that's that's man's charge from god according to, to that you know to, to their belief system that's not we, we were we are never there's nothing in our culture culture that tells us to subdue the earth subdue the planet subdue other life that's that's these are conflicting beliefs these are conflicting concepts but the problem is this the the power that came with colonization and the violence that came with it and the 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 domineering control i mean uh, Stephen Newcomb talks about the, the the doctrine of discovery being the domination code because it's all about domination. It, and it wasn't just meant to dominate us. It was meant to dominate the, the people of Europe and, and every place that they, that they spread the, the, this concept. Look, we're going to take a break here and, and come back. And when I come back, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, examples, examples of how, uh, not only has these Christian influences made it into our our culture uh, and and the way we live, but how it you know how it basically has created you know, most of the injustice that exists in uh, in the world today. And I and I think that is that is something that if you are a nature based uh, culture, if you're a culture that that understands um, the influences and frankly, the conflicts that exist in nature, you understand how to accommodate those, those conflicts and how, do, how you, um, you create harmony with those conflicts. 
not how you you try to conform everything in, into into a single uh, into a single belief. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Uh, again, God is not red, and he, the the concept is not ours. We'll talk about more of that when we come back. This is John Cain. This is Let's Talk Native. All right. Thanks for coming back. Hey, yeah, uh, let me give a shout out to my, uh, to my sponsors, to those who, who support the program on a weekly or a monthly basis that, uh, that really help us do what we do here. Uh, give a shout out to Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses, Eric White and ERW Enterprises, and the folks at Grand River Enterprises. Um, I also want to give a, a props out to those who you know, make a donation. They, they, we've had, got a few who done uh, done some donations on on PayPal. Even a couple who signed up for for a monthly donation on on PayPal. We um, we occasionally get a check in the mail. You know, and you know these are you know, guys like you know Steve and VJ and and uh, and Cindy. Uh, you know, all of you who've made a contribution from time to time helps us to buy another piece of equipment. This is a brand new microphone, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> help us buy another piece of equipment to improve what we're doing here to give us more capability part of our goal is that we we intend to to shoot not just more short videos but but gear ourselves up towards doing a, a full-length documentary and uh we've got a couple of concepts that we're kicking around and something that we're, we're putting some plans together but part of part of that involves creating uh, an adequate equipment list and your donations not just the folks who donate on a regular basis but even those of you who ed you know who, who, who give give support from time to time you help us get to that next place and of course we also have to replace equipment from time to time you know some of the stuff gets old we've been doing this for a long time we are in our 11th year with let's talk native and uh, uh we've we've moved towards having most of the equipment in-house as opposed to going to a radio station and doing a show and so that that puts more more of that burden on us a burden that we like to have um because it gives us more control in, in what we're doing so i want to thank all of you i also want to do a special shout out to to our uh, patreon subscribers uh we are on patreon and if you go to uh www uh, patreon.com slash let's talk native you'll see um that we got we got a two-tier system and we do intend in fact we're, we're putting some of the things in place now to create exclusive content for our patreon uh subscribers our patreon members so uh we will uh, we'll be doing that you know coming up soon <clears throat> so again i want to thank all of you who, who who provide some level of support to what we're doing here um, you know, the other way that you guys support is by offering your comments and your commentary, sharing the programs, sharing the podcasts, sharing the videos, sharing the, uh, the, uh, Facebook, uh, live streams and, uh, and, and videos as well. Um, we try to stay relevant, you know, part of what even today's show is, is trying to address issues that have been raised, you know, several times. And I know I've talked about this, uh, some of these concepts before. And in fact, what I'm going to talk about next is, is an example of, of something that I've talked about, about before, but it fits into this conversation. We have been influenced by, um, by European notions of spirituality. And in fact, that's a, that's a word that, I, that I'm even troubled by. And I know Native people have really gravita gravitated towards this idea of Native spirituality, but I don't 
you know, there's almost this, this idea that there's the natural and then there's the supernatural. I think there's enough in, 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 in the nature basket, in, in the whole concept of understanding the natural, to, to even contemplate that there's something beyond or, or super or above uh, what nature has, you know, evidences to us every day is... I think that's unnatural Maybe because if there's natural and the supernatural, the supernatural has to fit into the unnatural category. And, and I kind of reject some of that. So, so this, this whole idea of, uh, um, of, of spirituality has become um, not only a way that people try to separate elements of our culture and they try to take some of our language and our ceremonies and, and some of our practices and they, and they take them out of context. And, and then they, then they changed them. And, and I've talked about our funerals before, uh, before, and, you know, for us, when we talk about losing a loved one, a loved one passing on, whether they're, they are young or whether it's a, it's a violent, uh, you know, a violent occurrence or a tragic accident, or whether it's somebody who we've had the benefit of having their entire lives, you know, um, you know, shared with us, uh, we, what we refer to is, that their bodies they are, they have be, they have returned to their mother and so we talk about the earth that 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 we return to to the very earth that produced us in the first place we we oftentimes refer to those faces unborn as being those faces that are still beneath the ground that have not come come out yet you know so we we actually create this analogy to to a, a plant coming from the ground uh, the same as, as a birth coming from, you know, from our mothers. So when we, when we die, we refer to that as returning to, to our mother. But see, because of Christian influences, now we hear more and more people, and I know some of you people are going to be a little offended by this. We say, oh, well, that our loved one is making their final journey to the, to sky, to the sky world to, or, or to the creator. That's not a part of our normal, our, our, the way that we would have traditionally done funerals. We don't, I mean, the sky world is, isn't, isn't an, uh, the native version of heaven. And the creator, you know, that is talked about in, in the way sometimes funerals are done today, they might as well plug God in heaven into there for, for creator and, and, and sky world. But see, they've interchanged the, the concepts and they've tried to done some, do something that, that gives it the appearance of being more native. So we, instead of saying heaven, we say sky world. Or instead of God, we say creator. But, it's, but those concepts are, are exactly the same. They don't just parallel each other. One is an imitation of the other. And they aren't genuine to, to our culture. Look, even the idea of the, of the stars. Look, when we do the Ohundu Guriwadekwa and we, we offer our appreciation and acknowledgement to those stars. We call them our most, we call them our cousins, our distant cousins, our most distant relatives. But we don't say that those are our ancestors. That's Disney and Lion King that does that. And so anybody who, who saw a cartoon and then incorporated this concept in, uh, you know, somehow you know, that, that makes the sky seem like heaven and and those those stars up in in the sky you know are are proof that that's where we go when we die that's not at all part of our culture but it's the way our culture's been manipulated and and i got to tell you there's a whole lot more people who when when they 
are, you know, their families are, are telling people about them passing away, they recount this journey to the sky world. Now, I know some just say making their final journey, but in our culture, Haudenosaunee culture, we talk about our loved one has returned to their mother. And, and, and again, not their physical mother, but, but to the mother that, that, you know, that, that bears us all, the, uh, the earth. That's an example of how this thing's been, been twisted around. Now, I am not a, um, a follower of the code of Handsome Lake, but I know plenty of people who are. And, but I also know, but that's even an area that, that some, and I don't mean all, because I don't think it's a universal you know, construct that, uh, that Handsome Lake um, is, uh, is just another form, or the code of Handsome is another form of Christianity. But some have done that. Some have taken that leap. In fact, I've heard some try to tell the story that, that in Handsome Lake's visions, he saw the Ganawida come back, the peacemaker, and, and that he had holes in his hands and in his feet. Literally, if not literally saying it, literally implying that, that the Ganawida and Jesus Christ are the same, are, are, were, the, were the same person. Now, not everybody who follows the Code of Hansel Lake um, has taken that leap. In fact, I've talked to some people. No, there's nothing. There's nothing in the Gariwio in, in the in the Court of Handsome Lake that says that. Although there are plenty of believers in that who say that, and that's where it's where it's where it's troubling. Now, I will say there's there's little doubt that that code, that religion that is born out of Handsome Lake's um, uh, trip into alcohol an alcohol induced coma. That it did track along some Christian lines. It, it it talks about the devil. Now the devil didn't exist in our culture. So when the Code of Handsome Lake introduces this idea of of repentance and and the devil and and heaven and hell or any of that stuff, and and I'm not going to pretend to be an authority on on the Code of Handsome Lake, but you can tell that there was a Christian influence, whether it was on you know the person that was known as Handsome Lake himself. Or those who have tried to interpret what what Handsome Lake w had explained, you know, in his, uh, you know, again in his dream sequences. But you can see where where it comes from. Now I know this is, uh, you know, when I talk about this kind of stuff, it it, it ruffles some feathers. But there, there are clearly in, um, there are clearly clearly characteristics that have been uh, drawn into this uh, this Handsome Lake religion that are not originally part of our culture. So there, and, and, and whether it is done by the, you know, uh, the, again, the elders who, who claim to be the bastions of knowledge that are associated with, with Gary wheel, or whether it's some of their believers who have taken liberties, either way, we know the liberties have been taken and we know that some of this stuff, um, uh, creates a, it creates confusion. And, and I think one of the things that happens with this whole idea that there is a God who has already, you know, has a plan and that our lives have already been charted out from, it takes away personal responsibility. And, and so we, I mean, I, look, there was, there was a death, um, a couple of deaths that occurred, um, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and I heard one of the, 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 the native speakers, you know, talk about that that this was their, it was intended that this was their day to die. Not look in, in, in our funeral ceremonies, we talk about 
that a person has lived all their days. But it, that isn't to imply that at the moment of their birth, the number of days they had was already charted out. Look, if you believe that, then it doesn't matter what you do. Your personal behavior isn't going to take your life. I mean, it, it, would, it, it, it violates logic. And, and when we lose people to things like drug overdoses or, you know, or, or any kind of lifestyle choices that, that have endangered them, you know, even now as we live in this, in this you know, pandemic uh, uh, you know, that, is, that, that is global, to, to suggest that somehow we don't need to worry about whether we get sick or not because you know, it's, it's, it's either God's plan for us to live or die within the next 14 days or not. I mean, it, it takes away personal responsibility. Now, there's also this, this idea, uh, and I talk about domination. You know, when, when part of the, you know, the most, one of the more famous, you know, biblical you know, scriptures is, is read and they talk about the meek shall inherit the earth. That is literally a, an attempt to pacify people to not rise up. Don't, no, don't, don't fight back. Don't resist. Just be meek and humble because you're, you, you will inherit the kingdom of God. So in other words, you know, take the slavery that is being imposed upon you. Take the injustices, accept the murder, accept the residential schools, accept the oppression. Because that is preparing you for your seat in, in the holy kingdom. That's literally what they tell you. And that, again, it strips away not only personal responsibility, but it strips away the will to change. Look, I even heard Jeff Sessions, who was a part of the, when he was the U.S. Attorney General, suggested that it was a, a sin to stand up to governance, because if a government existed, and, and there's, a, there's, a, Bible quote, there's a, a Bible quote for this that suggests that governments only exist because of God's will. So what Jeff Sessions was trying to suggest, that he and Donald Trump and all of these, these, these corrupt individuals, that they couldn't really be corrupt, because the fact that they are in government and the fact that they are a part of a government only exist because it's God's will that they exist. And that if you reject them, that you are defying God. That They literally were saying this crap. So this is the kind of stuff that, that a rational human being will, will challenge. And so when we look at, you know, not just this generation, but the next generation, our kids and our grandkids, it's incumbent upon us to strip away all of this crap. That, that confuses our, our, our young people. We, look, and, I, and I've heard plenty of people say, look, I've exposed all my, my children to, to different belief systems so they can choose. I didn't. <laughs> I'd be damned if I was going to try to teach Catholicism or Christianity to my children and then what? Offer, offer some alternative belief system? No, to hell with that. Look, there is something that is absolutely pragmatic and useful in the way native people lived. We, it, it had to be because we didn't live off of oppression. You know, if you live off of oppression, you have to create these constructs that not only support oppressing other people, but will confine the oppressed into, into accepting their, you know, the lot, their lot in life. 
I mean, it, it's like the, the, this idea of a caste system didn't just exist in India, in Indian culture. The entire uh, system of Christianity and hierarchy is a caste system. There were the royals, and then there, then there was the, you know, the, the whole you know, feudal systems of, of Europe were based on, 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 look, you're stuck where you were born. And, and that's where they, they suggested the ambition to rise above your, your class in, in, uh, in uh, your social class was considered a sin in Europe. I mean, and, and, and of course, the idea of sin came from, you know, was, went right along with their belief system. But you see, our system didn't, our ideas, our culture, and our, our relationship to creation was not based on us being somehow elevated above all of the other, all of the rest of creation. That's what we should um, be enlightening our children to. That we have a relationship, even with those stars. And we can, de we, we can determine as we live our lives what exactly that relationship is. Maybe that relationship is just about inspiration, not just about guidance or navigation as, as some have used it. But there's, we all view things differently. We view beauty differently. And so what we, what we are inspired from what we witness can be different individual to individual. But the fact that we can and should be inspired by what nature has, uh, has what creation has provided is something that we should, we should encourage. Look, the greatest thing about creation is that it renews and, and that we oftentimes can find something new in very, very, in, in something that, that has been, you know, around since, you know, since the beginning of time. So this idea of encouraging our young people is, is encouraging them to be inspired by creation in ways that perhaps we didn't or, or we weren't. We have to look to our children to, to advance issues, to advance us as a, as a people. Look, I believe in evolution, but I don't think evolution is tied to this idea of civilization. I think that that is another control mechanism. I think evolution is about further developing and understanding your relationship to, to creation, to nature, and living the highest quality of life that, uh, that doesn't require you taking away somebody else's quality of life. That is what, to me, is what evolution is. How do you live a life that is, that is rich and fulfilling, that, that, that fulfills not only your bodily needs, but your, but your mental needs? You don't do that by oppressing and conforming and trying to squeeze the brain into, into believing something that is, is simply unprovable. That, that's the challenge that we have. So, like I said, <clears throat> this is not a story, or this is not a show about spirituality. This is a, this is a show that, if, if anything, refutes what most people would, um, with, how most people would characterize spirituality. I mean, when, when people ask me, well, are you a spiritual person? On, on its face, I have to say no. Because... I have an, already have an idea what some people are viewing as spirituality. When I, when I hear these new agers say, oh, I just love your culture. It's so spiritual. When, when I hear people say that to me, that's, that's troublesome. Because they've, they've already kind of tried to separate our, the, the pragmatic 
nature of what our ceremonies were, what our lives were, how we sustained ourselves, how we taught our children, how we lived, how we extended our family beyond mom, dad, and uh, two and a half kids. That, 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 to me, was unnatural. The way most of uh, urban living, to me, is uh, the most unnatural construct of all. And I'm not saying that we didn't go down that path as, as indigenous people. We did. We built cities. And most of those cities uh, perished long before white men showed up because they were unsustainable. And the idea of creating something that's unsustainable is defying nature. And even when indigenous people did it, it didn't make it right and it didn't make it successful. Look, we in many ways have tried to harness some elements of, of, of nature's power of creation, you know, to, uh, to make our lives better, but harnessing it and thinking that you can actually own it and control it. I mean, the idea of damming up a river has consequences. It does. It doesn't, you know, people think, Oh, we can, we can do flood control. Well, how has that worked out? As we look across the, uh, you know, our, our, our homelands, our ancestral lands, Turtle Island, you show me over the long haul how any manipulation, anything that was built to defy nature has been successful. And, and look, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take those, uh, you know, those comments because in the, at the end of the day, we will see over and over again how the more that we have defied nature, even in the name of Christianity and in the name of God and, and, and God blessing America, we're going to find out. Look, we're at a time now where I challenge anybody to tell me, to show me how much God has blessed this country. This country is at a, is at a, at a pivotal point. And I don't care how many evangelicals, I don't care how many Catholics the right puts on the Supreme Court. Yeah, there's a concept for you. Ever, ever notice how there's been very few Catholic presidents of the United States? Why? Because most of this country was founded on rejecting the power and authority of the Catholic Church. And that's why white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, you know, you know, dominated the, uh, you know, the United States. However, even the, uh, the non-Catholic leaders of the, uh, of the United States, when, when they want to choose somebody who's going to judge other people and they they will oftentimes gravitate towards Catholics, not just this uh, this you know Coney Barrett woman, but you know Scalia, Roberts, I mean probably even uh, uh, Sotomayor. I mean I mean look there there's a desire to pull in some uh, the most authoritative uh, authoritarian Christian belief uh, people of the, the most authoritarian Christian belief, which is Catholicism, and put them on a court to judge people. For, for a lifetime appointment. There's something a little creepy about that too. And, you know, but, but again, we're going to see in, in this next, you know, several years, how, how Americans are going to deal with this stuff. But at the same time, we should not just be bystanders. I think we should be spectators, but we should be active spectators. We should, we should know what we're seeing. And we should be, prepare ourselves by not being clouded with this notion of, of, of spirituality 
and, and that God, I mean, when I hear people talk about voting and praying, you should, wh why would this all powerful being somehow answer a prayer today when they weren't answering the prayers as our kids were being beaten and killed and abused by churches running residential schools? Why should this all powerful being, this God of gods, King of Kings, why should he hear our pleas now when, when they were murdering us, they were massacring us when slavery you know, would exist in, in a way that, that defied nature. It, it defied everything that anybody of any, you know, any level of morality could say was proper and right. And, and we think we're going to pray our way out of problems now. Look, even at Standing Rock, when I heard people say, well, let's pray for those judges who are going to hear the cases associated with this. Let's pray for the politicians. Are you freaking kidding me? I'll tell you what prayer is. Prayer is an excuse for doing nothing. It's, or it's an excuse against doing something. And, and I honestly view voting in much the same way. We need to... We are responsible for our lives. Our lives have not been charted out by some man in the sky. And nothing in our culture suggests that, that that's true. We, um, we have responsibilities. And, you know, again, my, my friend Dagarundige talks about that we were given a brain. We were given the power of reason so we could take into account so much more than, than perhaps other creatures on the planet could do. And, and we've been given this, this ability to reason and to observe and to, and to adapt our lives based on the lives around us. Not to defy nature, but to live with it. That lies at the, at the core of what Native identity always has been, but, ha but has been mired in confusion over the last couple of hundred years, since the moment white men came in, uh, came onto our onto our lands, and began trying to displace everything that we 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 knew, all of our knowledge, and and strip that away, call it paganism, call it devil worship, and indoctrinate us into into their culture of domination. So, I I guess my warning to everybody is. Think about what the words you say mean and, and mean them. Make sure that when you speak, you speak from a place that is not somebody else's words that were put in your mouth or somebody else's ideas that were put into your head. Let, let your own reason, your own vision, and your own senses guide you. And let common sense be one of those senses. Look, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll be back uh, for our next program. <laughs> we'll see you then. And uh, thanks, for, thanks again for listening and for watching. Yahweh.